Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Chad Hamsey. Chad began online advertising in 2009 as a CPA affiliate marketer specializing in Google Display Network and Facebook ads. He later went on to develop an agency while continuing affiliate operations and eventually developed LifeBuzz.com, a publishing site that reached the top 50 of all sites in the U.S., averaging 30 million monthly uniques at one point. Across client and in-house projects to date, his businesses have driven nearly 700 million unique visitors and over $200 million in sales. Currently, Chad owns an in-house e-commerce brand and still manages email campaigns and list rentals on the house list for large advertisers. Along the path, he's also had 20 professional fights between MMA and Muay Thai and still trains BGJ to this day. I've asked Chad to join us here today so we can all talk about growing our audiences better. So Chad, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing great. Mm. Yeah, sure. we've been chatting back and forth a bit. I've chat, you know, Chad's like my brother from another mother, jujitsu guy, paid ad guy, just a lot to like about him. But how did you even get into this? Before we talk about what you've done, how did you even get into it? You come from a family of entrepreneurs. What got you even into affiliate marketing and marketing in general? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I do come from a family of entrepreneurs, I guess. You know, my dad always had a side hustle at the times he had a job. And then I think, you know, so as long as I can remember, he just had his own thing going on. So, you know, he always had those. My brother, you know, ended up getting into his own businesses after a while. Like they're both in the real estate contractor type thing. And uh, so myself, I had a web design studio in 2000. You know, we had that for a couple of years. It didn't do very good. It did good for a while and the whole bubble burst. Didn't really know how to pivot at the time. So I became a business analyst at a local telecom for about five years there. And around 2008, I mean, my thing at the time, like I've never actually never been anyone who's really like money hungry or really ambitious when it comes to money. I've always been really into martial arts. Like I saw Bloodsport, the movie at eight years old. (laughs) This is the coolest thing ever if this was real. And then, you know, when I was 13, my brother brought home UFC one and he's like, dude, it's real. And I'm like, wow. And so I was just looking what I wanted to do. So, you know, I'm working at this telecom job. I tell my wife at the time, you know, we're still married, but my wife, we didn't have kids at the time. I'm like, you know, I'm not really doing what I want to do. I really want to see what I could do fighting full-time because I'd been fighting already, but just part-time. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but so we, we started to look at the places, the locations of, you know, where where we could live that was cheap enough to still train full-time. And so it was a pretty short list with our budget. So Thailand was pretty much top of the list. So in 2008, we both quit our pretty secure jobs and we moved to Thailand and she trains to, she fought in Muay Thai and she does jujitsu now, but we just trained and fought full time from 2008 to about February, 2009. So this is how I got into marketing. So around February, 2009, my dad got real sick with stage three stomach cancer and So it was one of those things where, you know, we had to move back 
Canada where I was from originally. And, uh, cause he was going to be living with us. My parents were separated at the time. So it was one of those things where, man, I was like that guy who typed into Google how to make money online. Mm. Like that was literally how it happened. Like it was completely out of necessity. Even at the time I wasn't really fully into entrepreneurship, but I had not been working essentially for a year. I'd build a website here and there and make some money. And you know, in Thailand, money just like lasts a long time. So we were able to live off that and just, we make some money fighting. And so it was one of those things where I was never really ambitious about money. And then, but I was like, holy shit, I got, I need, need it. Yeah. Some now I got a mortgage back in Canada and my dad's sick and my wife was just recently pregnant. So I'm freaking out. So I went back to Canada. I would teach private lessons for Muay Thai and, and striking and stuff. You know, in the morning, my wife would work at a gym that we were training at. And then I would just work on campaigns, CBA campaigns. I studied, I tried so many different things. Like I tried SEO. It wasn't really, you know, my mind didn't really work with it. Like it was like, okay, I'm going to do all this work. And then maybe later I'll get traffic. That doesn't make much sense. Which, you know, some guys are going to lose that. Right. And, but I was more analytical and I understood like, okay, I can buy the traffic and then I can just try to make it work. So that was essentially how I got into it. I eventually, like a lot of, if they're being honest, found a forum called PPC Coach, a really old forum. It was probably the first, you know, membership site that got really big on pay-per-click marketing, PPC. Mm. I just started doing the tutorials there, 50 bucks a month, which was a lot at the time for me. And uh, I started doing the tutorials there and basically putting ad spend on my credit card. Mm. And kind of hoping <laughs> same time. So, you know, hope's not a good strategy, but it was basically like, that's how I started. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember because I came back from Thailand, June 6th, 2009, and I had my first six figure campaign around November of 2009. So, wow. Yeah. So I just kind of, it was a Google display campaign selling like muscle building supplements type of thing. So that's how I started in it. And after that, I just eventually started building the campaigns and then we can go on that if you like. But so yeah, that's how I started though. Well, let's talk because I mean, you've been in the traffic game and traffic is so sexy because everybody wants more traffic. Everybody wants to be adored by millions. But I think at the end of the day, you got to have something that kind of, you know, keeps the engine running. You got to have some sales and conversion. Where do you think... Like if anyone's listening to this and they're stuck and struggling, you know, you mentioned Google Display or Google or AdWords. So if someone's stuck and struggling and they're new figuring this out, do you have any advice to them? I know you've got a very simple approach to Google Display Network. Can you talk about that a little bit? Just for anyone that's maybe where you were at that point, you know, what would be the advice for someone that's, you know, at the start of 2000? What year was it? You said 2009? 2009. Yeah. Yeah, So. So what what would you be your advice to you in 2009 between when you had your success and leading up to it? Okay. So the one thing is I have to preface this. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. With the fact that the traffic sources have changed a lot since then. So I started on Facebook in 2010. So I always tell people who are starting out now that the easiest traffic to convert, in my opinion, is actually Facebook. Facebook ads traffic. It's not really a secret, but people view it as being hyper competitive. But at the end of the day, they're like, it just tends to convert the best. I find 
outside of maybe email traffic, which is a whole of, we could do a whole series of podcasts on email, which is what we buy a lot of these days. But I always say like, if you're doing compliance stuff that Facebook is fine with, it's probably the easiest platform to start with. Now, regardless of the platform though, the key piece of advice that I could give, and I've even lost track of this every once in a while is the two things that you should focus on are obviously traffic and conversion, but it goes deeper than that. The biggest things that you can influence regardless of the traffic source, assuming the traffic source is not filled with bots and a bunch of crap, like it's a real traffic source, is is the creative and the offer. So when, and this is true if you are an affiliate, it's true if you're a product owner, you have control over these two. So as an affiliate, let's talk the affiliate scenario first. So let's talk about the offer. As an affiliate, we would always rotate different offers. We still do it. So we'll rotate maybe four or five different offers in a specific niche. And we'll go with the one that gives us the highest EPC, the earnings per click. So for every thousand visits that we send to the offer, which one's giving us the highest dollar per visitor? And that's always the one that we optimize to as an affiliate. If you're a product owner, like an e-commerce store owner, or you have a funnel or whatever else, your offer is going to be how you structure the offer. So if you're selling supplements or widgets, you know, you could buy one for X price, two for X price, and then three plus one free type of thing, right? So that's an example of an offer. Another offer might be a BOGO, like a buy one, get one free. But that's like probably the most important, you know, hinge of everything that swings the biggest doors is the offer. So the mm-hmm. offer is number one. It's the number one thing. After that is the creative. When I say the creative, I mean the ad. Back in the day, you had a few different options of ads. You had, you know, text-based type of ads on Google Display and Google Search, and you had image ads. There wasn't a lot of video at the time, you know, that sort of thing. These days, video's blowing up. The image ads work great. You still have text ads on. But the key is that the creative, the ad, is the next most important thing. And some can argue it's the most important thing with what you can do in video these days. So... As an example, I won't go into too many details on this just to kind of protect the brand, but we have a product in our e-commerce product where the video itself is a comparison between our product and the four other top products in the industry, the most well-known. And it's a demonstrating, it's a demonstrative type video. And our product ends up winning the test. The offer we send them to isn't really fancy. It's basically just like a standard e-commerce Shopify type page, but that creative just blew up. Like it pre-sold the person so well that they didn't need a fancy landing page with a bunch of copy. They just went there and they're like, I gotta buy this. So with what you can do with video these days, you know, there's, there's just so much you can do on the creative side. Now that being said, we're also split testing the offer there all the time to improve on the numbers. So I still say the offer is most important. At the end of the day, if somebody just doesn't want something, I don't care how good of a media buyer you are. They just don't want it. You can give, I always say, you can give a pro best in the world media buyer, a crappy creative and a mediocre offer, and they won't do well with it. And then you can give somebody who's kind of a mediocre media buyer, an awesome creative and an awesome offer, and they'll blow it up. And so it's good news because 
as targeting options and cookie-based tracking and all this stuff starts getting taken away from ad platforms over the next coming years, you know, which is, the, you know, the rumors we hear and all that. And Google's talking about that with Chrome by 2022. Those fundamentals of creative offer will be like, well, those will decide who wins again. That's how it was in the past. You could go to like, I used to do a lot of direct to site media buying. So I would go to weather.com, for example, and just buy a bunch of their remnant traffic, like leftover traffic. And it would be the creative and the offer that does the heavy lifting. As Facebook became more data-driven, you started to have guys looking at it more as engineers and data junkies versus marketers and good advertisers, right? So they kind of start to forget the, the offer thing, the creative thing. But at the end of the day, the best guys always went out on the creative. And so when you add in all those lookalikes and all this data and all that, you just become that much more effective. That's how you see these crazy return on ad spends that some guys get on Facebook. They're combining everything. So if someone's starting out and struggling, you're saying that the targeting is important, but the most important thing is the offer that they have that they're making. And then the ad, the creative that's hooking them there. And that, and I'm kind of expanding on this for you and tell me if I'm in the right way or not, or if I'm wrong, but that they can basically split test to, to heaven and back you know, the offer and ad, and then they can optimize everything else based on the best performer in terms of what the ad's getting. Is that correct? Like the landing page, all that stuff would be like your ad becomes your landing page, becomes your email follow-up, all that stuff. It's all determined by the ad that's pulling. And you're trying to make an ad where the targeting doesn't matter. The ad is so good. The targeting doesn't matter because the ad itself pulls and like flags those people and pulls them in. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, if you're working with really mass market offers, then yes, absolutely. You can target very broad and do really well with it. So things like weight loss, making money, that sort of stuff. Let's just put compliance aside. Yeah, you could do that. Now, sure, when you overlay the targeting, it's even better. It's great. As you get into niche type products, that sort of thing, like back pain widgets, you know, we were talking about that earlier, back pain, like so back pain widgets, that's going to have a certain type of targeting, perhaps car related products, all that sort of stuff. But the creative and the offer is so important. And you kind of alluded to it. The creative drives the angle. Now you learn this when you're an affiliate. A lot of product owners don't quite learn this because they focus on the product a lot, which is extremely important in this day and age with social proof and whatnot. But they kind of focus more on the offer in the incorrect way. When I was an affiliate, you didn't have like what you had was the creative. So you had your ad, your banner ad or whatever. And then you had a landing page if you're using a landing page to kind of pre-sell the offer. But we couldn't control the offer at all. So a lot of times as an affiliate, your job is simply to find the angle on the creative that does like that blows it up. Because so if somebody's promoting a, let's give you an example. If somebody's promoting a home refinance offer. Okay. You can you can promote that with an ad that's like you know, refinance your home and make money, blah, blah, whatever. That's a very generic vanilla kind of, kind of, you know, angle. Or you can go with something maybe that's politically slanted with current events, for example. So let's say if in the news, there was a politician who passed a bill or something that actually coincided with that offer, that's angling it with a landing page or even just with the creative itself, the ad itself. 
that's angling it in a way that is going to convert much higher, typically. Mm. So, so when you take that, but you also own the offer as a product owner or an offer owner, then you can really start making custom product pages and a whole custom experience. You can test different angles on the creative, which is easy to do, easier to do than the offer. You can see response on the creatives. And then when you find the angle that works well, you can start tweaking the offer. Even though the offer is most important, you can start tweaking the offer to improve on that. So it, yeah, you know, the way you said is correct. It all kind of becomes cohesive. And it becomes this funnel, not a funnel in the traditional sense with like upsells, downsells, and like well, it could be that, but it becomes this funnel of creative to lander or creative directly to the offer, but being very, very cohesive together. What I love right now is we're talking about the strategies and principles that work irrespective of this stuff will be valuable in work, whether it's today, whether it's five years from now or 10 years from now, this stuff is going to be true. No matter what, even if the button and the interface of Google or AdWords or Facebook ads changes, this stuff is really still getting to the core of what works. I want to, can I share a story? And you tell me if this is a good demonstration of what you're talking about or not. We've talked about martial arts. I ran a jujitsu club for three years in Kingston, Ontario. And my experience with online advertising really started then. And for me, one of the things that I did was I had five target markets, like I had like university students, you know, police, fire, rescue personnel, military, because we have a big base. I forget what the other, I think one was like working professionals. And I, th I think the last one maybe was kids or something, but I had five target markets and I came up with like 11 different hooks or reason why people might want to train, lose weight, get in shape, meet friends, compete and you know, all this stuff. And the number one combination that worked for me was free fighter fitness and skill assessment targeted to university age males. That was basically a license for me to print money. And, mm -hmm. and then I optimized everything in my business for that. Now, is that kind of what you're talking about? Because when you say the angle, like my, I had jujitsu classes, my product, you know, like four cards, any color you want, as long as it's black, right? Like I can teach you anything you want, as long as it's jujitsu. And then I was testing these different angles. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So jujitsu is your product. It's not your offer in that respect. Right. It's your product. You can teach it to whoever, you know, however many different people. And that's where your hooks come in. So exactly. That's kind of what I'm talking about. So you could have several different lead-ins. And as a brick and mortar, you know, business owner, your resources are kind of finite mm -hmm. in that regard. So you may want to go all in on those guys that you went after, right? As the resources grow, you can maybe then, you know, bring in a separate funnel for women that want to learn self-defense, for example, or whatever else. So yeah, that's exactly it. You're just kind of custom tailoring a product that might be generic. It doesn't have to be generic. People are like, oh, I'm in the weight loss niche and it's huge. I mean, we've always done big competitive niches, but you can, there's so many angles and hooks inside a giant niche like that. I mean, even within the CrossFit niche, which is kind of a part, a niche within the giant fitness niche, you can narrow it down to CrossFitters who are into ketogenic diets, CrossFitters who are vegan, CrossFitters who are, you know, you can start to narrow it down so much. Mm. Even if you're an affiliate promoting a CrossFit course, you know, for example, you have so many different traffic pockets you can go after and angles just off splitting it yourself, mm. even if the offer never changed. It's almost like it's the lead-in. It's almost like you're really just talking about the lead-in conversation that leads to the product or service that you're having. You know, like, yeah. yeah. It's pre-framing, right? So when somebody sees an ad, you can kind of dictate psychologically what they're thinking and feeling. 
right off the bat. You're going to filter some people out. And that's often something you may want to do, you know, especially if you're dealing with a more niched angle. But yeah, exactly. And like I said, it's, this is stuff that just, it's human psychology. So until like AI is buying our stuff for us or we never go, you know, and look at ads, and yeah, yeah. Uh, which is being talked about with Amazon and whatnot, it's kind of like these types of principles will always ring true. Mm-hmm. Always, always creative in the offer. Are there any guidelines? If you're starting with a new, you know, you've got a new product or you've got something that you're doing. I mean, there's so many people doing new stuff. So if you've got something new, can you give people an idea of how many different things they would need to test or what kind of budget they might want to work in? For maybe the talking, we're talking to like the newbies and maybe even the intermediate people that are listening. Yeah, for sure. So if I was an affiliate, let's say a person's an affiliate, we will usually test between like four to five different angles on an offer. And then we'll test a separate landing page for each angle, right? So four to five landing pages. And then those will lead to often the three top offers at an affiliate network, not in the listing. Like we have good relationships with our affiliate managers. So we'll get the three top offers from them in that niche. So all those offers are kind of generic. So we can kind of redirect all those angles and all those landing pages to the offer, right? So you've got four or five kind of angles with independent landing pages per offer, and you've got around three offers. So that's like 15 angles and 15 landing pages. Yeah, that's the permutations. That's how you're looking at it. And then with those angles, each angle, you might have three to four ads, right? So there's a lot of data. That's the way we run. And, you know, we do that to get a lot of data and see what's working well. And it works well for us. Now, when you start, if you're also the product owner, we really work like in our e-commerce business because we use our e-commerce business all compliant and that sort of stuff. So we use Facebook a lot. So because we have a lot of data, and now we're going to the data side of things, because we have a lot of data to work with, we don't test the offer as aggressively as we may on the affiliate side of things. Not saying you shouldn't. It's just something that we're, we're focused more on the creative, right? So once we find a winning creative out of maybe, let's say, might be 10, 20 creatives, and these are video creatives. So it could be, could be like four video creatives, four to five with four different copies, you know, different copy and that sort of thing. This is like in a Facebook scenario. Then once we see what's resonating with the creative and whatnot, then we'll start split testing the offers and that sort of thing. So you optimize for creative first. You're optimizing for clicks on the creative because you're not getting sales yet. If you don't have your complete offer. We get sales. We get sales still. We're like, we're a bit more experienced. So like, you know, with the one e-commerce product I was talking, I was referencing there. We've been selling it through a little bit through Facebook. We've been selling it through um, influencers, a whole bunch of different stuff. And so it had a good reputation and whatnot. So we knew the product was something that people wanted. Mm. We just to demonstrate it, mm. right? But starting from scratch where we don't know, you'll start looking at things like CTRs, like click-through rates and stuff on the creative. We'll still be bidding on conversion on Facebook. That's usually how we start. Some guys like to start on traffic objectives or whatever else we like to start on conversion objectives ourselves. And, and we will, you know, we'll see sales, if it's something that people want, you know, if our copy's right. But in those cases, when we're starting from scratch, we'll test different packages. So we'll test the offer in conjunction. And it's just at the end of the day, frankly, it's more expensive when you start from scratch, mm. right? Cause you need to see what, you know, what is 
number one, is it something that people want? Hopefully you did a bit of your research and you know have a bit of a perfect concept, but uh, we need to see what offer structure works and what creative angles work. So we'll be going through more money. So, and, so have a daily budget, you know, just like if you hired a new sales rep, right? This is kind of scientific advertising, Claude Hopkins style, you know, dedicate, like if you were to hire a salesperson for your company, you dedicate a salary for the salesperson, you divide it to a daily expenditure. You set that up in whatever ad platform that you're comfortable using, AdWords, Facebook, whatever you want to do, but pick one and focus on mastering one first and foremost. Yeah. Try to come up with, you know, three to four different offers, even if your product is the same thing, just three to four different ways to bundle and package it. For every offer, you need four to five landing pages for four to five angles. So you need four or five, I guess, ad groups, depending on where, like, you know, wherever you're putting the ads and then each one needs four or five ads. So now you're just going to let this kind of, you set this up, you let it roll and play out. And in the beginning, if you can't optimize for conversions, you basically go to the closest next step you can. So if you can't get sales, then you go to either click-throughs to your order form. And if you can't do click-throughs, your order form, click-throughs from the ad to the landing page. Exactly. Yeah. You can do ads to cards. Now keep in mind, so let's say it's our own product because that, you know, e-commerce is hot right now. A lot of people are rolling out their own stuff. We won't necessarily put a landing page. So even now that, that e-commerce brand that I'm talking about, we don't have a landing page. We just go to our product page, hmm. right? Uh, we're now just starting to test a different landing page, but I find on Facebook, especially, you know, we do great as long as we focus on the creative and then the offer. Right. The creative is so important, like stopping the scroll on Facebook and doing all that sort of stuff. So, so important. So we, we focus there. Now we'll start rolling in landing pages and whatnot, but our landing pages, a person can buy on it. It's not like a pre-sale article page. So we want to get the offer and the creative down first and then all that other stuff we can add in. As affiliates, the reason as affiliates, we put the landing page, like a kind of like a pre-sale article or whatever in between is because we have no control over the offer. So the offer is very, very vanilla, whereas like we can't even, we can't even change the structure of the packages and that sort of stuff. So that's why we add that pre-sell article typically in, in play. It also depends on what kind of offer it is. We've done ones by email traffic where our email creative was a pre-sell article in itself. And that's like kind of a secret trick that we do, which works like gangbusters because the, the email creative is like kind of a semi-lengthy article. And so they're already pre-sold. So any, any clicks that go through are like really, really pre-sold. We were hitting $5 EPC on a financial offer, like a lead gen offer, just to doing that, right? So mm. your opens are good. Our click-through rates are kind of like not gangbusters, like if we were click-baiting it, but the conversion was amazing there. So there's different ways to skin it, but usually as an affiliate, we'll put a pre-sell of some sort in there because we have no control over the offer. Right. Okay. So if you were to try to back this out as like a, a philosophy to approach towards your paid advertising, it's really focus on the creative and the offer. You can have a generic landing page, everything goes to, but you're really trying to use the ad platform almost like a gladiator arena to let your offers, your hooks, your copy battle it out to figure out what the best combination is. And you optimize for the best next step that you can. It sounds like targeting is kind of an afterthought in this. Like you just want to be pointed in the right direction 
but you know, thing, nothing that you've said has really been like, you got to find the right list. You got to find the right keyword. None of the, what you said has been about that. You're like, no, you've really got to pre like pre pre-frame, I guess these the same word you do. I felt like I wanted to use like predispose people, but pre-frame you want to pre-frame yeah. people to something with the ad. And then you just want to target in the right direction. Yeah. And I mean, I'm trying to keep the discussion, um, kind of in line with all traffic sources, like the fundamentals on all traffic sources. And right. usually creative and the offer are the, the two biggest things. You know, the offers, the, the, you've probably heard the saying, the offers everything. The creative also, I find, is right up there. Talking specific about Facebook. Yeah, I mean, you have custom audience data. We absolutely use lookalikes and all sorts of things and whatnot. But not everyone has that. Not everyone has that. Not every network has such great targeting ability had Facebook done. So the things that have worked on broad, you know, direct site media buys have been, you know, what I'm talking about right now. Sure. Well, I think that's what a lot of people want because people are, people have a hard time, even myself niching down because everybody wants to have a broad audience. So it's funny because, you know, what you're saying, I mean, clearly you're just telling the truth of your own personal experience, but I keep having in my head that old direct response formula where it's like, was it's 40% your who, it's 40% the list, 40% the offer, 20% the copy. And I almost feel like what you're saying is almost flipping on the head where it's it's the offer, the copy, and then the targeting. As long as you're starting off targeting in sort of the right vicinity, you might not make a positive ROI, but you should be able to get data that you can optimize from as long as you're pointed in the near vicinity, you know, as long as yeah. you're pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I can, you know, I can speak to that. Like my, my business, my main business that I call my cash business, because it kind of runs well on its own, <laughs> it's all email. And uh, our traffic, well, how do I explain this? The most we know about our leads is that most of them are over the age of 55. Mm. That's pretty much it. And maybe a 60% male, 40% women split. Like really, that's like the most we know. We could run it through data matching tools and whatnot, but we're not really... Now, our advertisers, I won't name their names, but they're some of the biggest financial and health advertisers out there. So, you know, they promote VSL type offers, that sort of thing. And, and they're very broad type offers, very mass market offers. So our lists aren't anything special. They're not buyers lists or anything like that. They're actually, a lot of the data, a lot of the emails we've generated have been off of political polls and that sort of thing. You know, current event type polls, that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's one of those things where there's not a lot of targeting there, but these guys have really killer offers. They got great ad creatives, which become our the emails that we drop and they make it work well. They have good metrics. They have good, like average order values, that sort of stuff. So there's other pieces to the puzzle there in terms of average order value and stuff for those guys. But we also have affiliates who promote on our list and they're the most impressive ones because they got that one shot, right? They're not collecting the lead and they're not doing all that stuff. And again, it's, you know, really broad traffic. They have some awesomely effective creatives and they always promote really effective offers like high converting offers, info products, whatever it is. Got it. No, I love it. I love it because it's just, if, if some way, to a certain extent, it, it really helps simplify it for a lot of people. Like, I mean, I know I've worked with clients in the past. I think we used Ad Espresso once with Facebook and I must have put in 50 different interests back when you, you just interest targeting. And I remember Deepak Chopra was the only thing that we could make profitable, you know, and we did all the split testing and that was the only target, but 
we still started super broad. Like that's the other thing is like, it's like you saying at the end of the day, we ended up optimizing the ad the best for our deal target market. It's almost like an archery target. You know, like we had everything optimized for the bullseye and then we wanted more volume. So then you go out and your numbers don't work as well, but they still work, you know, and that's where you start having to build a backend. We talk about lifetime customer value a lot on my podcast. So that's where these things really come into play. How does price point affect this at all? Like, are you into the tripwire thing? Are you into like, you better sell a $7 thing before you sell a $250 thing? Or are you just go for your core offer? What's your approach and just your experience? Yeah, for sure. I've done it a few different ways. I ran a fairly large trial, like health skincare trial operation for about two and a half years there. And so that was basically pay shipping and handling. And it was like a recurring type thing. My e-commerce business right now is all straight sale, meaning somebody comes, they choose between three different options and then they buy that sort of thing. This is like, it depends on the marketer and how experienced they are. Floating cash and also the yeah, cash flow. Floating cash is very tricky to, if you're doing a tripwire thing and then, you know, doing an ascension model from there. Now, I will say this I haven't done much in like the high ticket back end type space. Maybe I should because maybe it'll make my life easier in ways, but <laughs> I've on products. So there's guys I know that they do the tripwire. They could just be a, you know, actual physical book, info product, but a physical book that gets sent out free plus seven dollars you know shipping and then after that they get you know i've seen and you know the customer gets called by phone room and this and that and now they're selling into five figure packages you know that sort of thing so there's that side of it where i can understand going aggressively after the low-end purchase right because your back end is so large that assuming you can float the cash and your backend conversion is effective enough, it's going to work. I tend to recommend for beginners to do just a straight sale type model to start with an optional continuity. So the reason I like that is you get this, you get kind of like liquidating cash, you know, on day zero, like right away. So, you know, somebody's buying, let's, let's talk physical products, for example, they're buying one, two, or three plus one free for some supplement bottles or widgets, whatever else. The most attractive one there is going to be a three plus one free. So you'll probably get about 30% of your people taking that depending on the niche, but that's kind of average what I've seen, especially in supplements. I mean, you'll probably get, you know, maybe 50%, 50 to 60% getting the single bottle one. So you're going to liquidate some cash right there. At checkout, we would have an optional continuity. So you start building up the the continuity revenue, being transparent on the subscription. You can be aggressive on the subscription, not be very transparent, but you're going to get into trouble with it. Believe me, I know that very well. But if it's a good product and you're transparent on it, then people are reminded of their recurring shipments and that sort of thing. It's good to build up that recurring revenue just for business cash flow. After that initial sale, (coughs) we'll almost always put one to two one-click upsells. In the case of supplements, when we were doing supplements, our one-click upsell would be more of the product that they just bought on a straight sales structure. So let's say they bought the three plus one free or three plus two free package is another one we would do. They would get the option to buy three and three or six more bottles of the same stuff that they just bought for a reduced price. And so that'll get a good uptick. I mean, supplements typically will get like 20, 25%, depending how aggressively you're selling it. 
you know, sometimes it'll go as low as 10%. Mm-hmm. And then after, then after that, we would do a complimentary product, again, offering three and six, you know, bottle options. And that would be the second one click upsell. You could keep going with upsells all day long, but usually, you know, I try to keep it just like the two. That's just what I like to do. Just not burn people out. Um, but it depends in the, the niche I'm looking at, but typically with all supplement niches or skincare and that sort of stuff, beauty, that's kind of been the structure that we've done. Street sale first, liquidate some, optional continuity, and then two one-click up sales in a row. So we would see average sales upwards of $250 going through the, a funnel like that. We once even had, we once even had a weight loss funnel hit $350 average sale, which is a bit much actually. Like it, it actually. <laughs> It's actually too high in a way, but, uh, you know, we had Omega, like Omega-3 type products and that sort of thing hit between 220, 240 pretty regularly. Now, these days, what we're seeing is closer to a 170, that type of range, 150 even, but mm. that's still strong. And is there a particular type of funnel you like to work with to start? Like, is it, you like to start with a sales page in the beginning and then come up with a VSL? Are you one of the guys that's like, we should put a webinar together and proof of concept first and then do a VSL or how, what, like, again, in your experience, what's the shortest path, I guess, to testing and success? Yeah, good question. So on email traffic, which is what we do a lot of, it's VSL, right? We'll do it. We'll do it off the VSL. Almost every offer, like we'll just build the VSL in the beginning. It's a bit more time consuming and uh, we'll build about four different intros to the VSL. So the intro might be like a minute or two minutes long, and that'll be kind of like testing a different angle off the beginning, right? And the rest of the VSL tends to be the same. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah, we'll often do it that way on email traffic. When it comes to Facebook traffic, because of compliance these days and how things have been, number one, there's just certain markets, like certain niches we won't take to Facebook, like supplements and beauty stuff. Like some guys do it and they do it compliantly, but I know some very compliant large sellers and they still have problems with their accounts and whatnot. So, you know, we just won't take stuff like that to Facebook. Facebook let's, they're just let's... schizophrenic. You, they're like a crazy uncle. Like you just don't know what to expect from Facebook. They're not like Google's mature enough that they'll be like, hey, this isn't really kosher. And you know, there's a, per- a procedure before you get your account banned. Facebook's just like, F you, we don't need you. Goodbye. For, yeah. you know, first time offense. Even if you spent a hundred thousand with them in the last month, they just don't yeah. give a shit. Like they're just psychotic. <laughs> yeah, I know guys, you know, we spend more than that and you know, you'll have accounts go down. But so I'll just, there's just certain niches I just won't take there. Let's say we're dealing with, you know, like widgets, drones, like car related products, which we do that. That type of stuff, the funnel I'll do is I'll kind of focus mostly again on creative mm-hmm. and then we'll just go to like a e-com standard Shopify e-commerce type page. I mean, we've done, CRO optimizations and stuff to them. And then from there, when somebody adds to cart, we'll give them kind of like a little pop-up sort of, not a pop-up, but just like a, an extra window offering them a couple of different additional items. And then after they purchase, we'll do like one, one click upsell. And that's kind of like what we do on a, on a Shopify, e-com, Facebook type funnel. And then when he gets to the thank you page, we'll also have a thank you page offer. Really like not, not aggressive stuff, not, but you know, we're leveraging Facebook's data and it's kind of just being on Facebook is valuable to us, right? For certain niches, really white hat type stuff. I should also mention like, we'll always, 
we'll always test on Google search as well. Google search is one of those, if it's a compliant type thing that Google's fine with, it's almost always like the first traffic source we'll test. Just because it's such high buyer intent, you know what I mean? It's such high intent. Like it's, it's in Google search is like a a relevancy engine. It's an intent and relevancy engine more than a search engine these days. Mm. So, so we will go after really targeted terms and just see how it works off there. And you got often build your proof of concept there, you know, meaning like, do people want this, right? Think people want to buy. You can, what I like to do is bid on competitor keywords. This is a pretty cool trick. I like to bid on competitor keywords and then I like to build custom audiences in Facebook off the traffic that hits our site off those competitor keywords. The reason why I do that is as you start to, it's one way to build up custom audiences before you have a lot of buyers off of pretty targeted intent traffic. And then, so when you start advertising to them on Facebook, you start to get a lot of comments like, Hey, how does this compare to X brand X, which is the Mm -hmm. keyword you were bidding on, on Google. The reason that works well is because it tees you up to answer that question in the comments, right? So Mm. I really like that because you're almost preloading your ad creative on Facebook with like one of the most common questions, leveraging somebody else's brand. A little tip that I like to do, and it just works great. And like I said, it's the highest intent traffic, Google search next to like Amazon, you know, being in Amazon and bidding on because people are like there to buy, you know, it doesn't get much better than Google search. So it's often the highest quality traffic, often very expensive, but it's a good place to prove your concept out, see if people actually want it. So that's funny because I had two things I wanted to ask about that. One was info products because you gave a great breakdown for email to VSL or if it's very compliant and it's a physical product, you'll do Facebook creative to Shopify type page. I was going to say, what about info products? And then I also was going to ask you about Google because Google, nobody talks about Google anymore. And I know that you, you know, you started on Google, you built yourself up on Google and this call's all been about Facebook. So now you're saying, but you, you always start with Google search if it's your first traffic source and you start bidding on competitor keywords to help get your like momentum going if you've got nothing else to build on. So is it Google search? Is it Google display targeting keywords? Or you're just getting a text ad based off of Google search keywords follow chasing competitors to begin with? Yes. So let me clarify one thing. It's Google search and Facebook that we start with. Google search will be the one getting the sales typically to start though for us. When we worked in car related products, for example, it was a new niche for us. We actually started exclusively search just to see. And it was the exact strategy I'm telling the competitor thing. We preloaded custom audiences with the competitor keywords. And then we also bought like other keywords that were like, you know, best car X, whatever it was, right? Best this, you know buy this type of thing. And, you know, but it was mostly competitor keywords that we would base it off of. And so those are the two sources I like to start with, but you to see the results, of Google search and it's Google search keyword bidding, not Google display right away. You can always test there, but I like to, I like to, I mean, these days now you got like affinity audiences and kind of like different types of targeting on Google display that you can do. I still like keyword targeting there, but I like to find what kind of converting 
keywords on Google search I'm getting before I take the keywords over to Google display. Even though it's totally different mindset, it's, you know, contextual bidding versus search bidding. I do find good results on Google display going after like high intent Google search keywords. Typically, if there's enough search volume, mm. it's a large keyword, that sort of thing. Mm. But to clarify, it's Google search. That's typically where a lot of the early results will come from. But we will test on Facebook. And the reason we'll test on Facebook is just because I almost always want to get Facebook working. If it's a compliant offer that Facebook's cool with, I almost always want to get it working because it's a great traffic source. Like people talk a lot of trash on it these days, um, but it's a great traffic source. It's just high, highly engaged. Anytime I've done a traffic, I, I'm not as well versus you in traffic, but anytime we've done traffic comparison, Facebook, even Facebook pa page followers, they just convert higher. And I feel like it's just the frequency of contact, whether it's yeah. you engaging with them or their family and friends engaging with them. There's like people, we are all obsessively interacting with Facebook. And so the engagement's so high, it just translates over to to other stuff. It's easier to get their attention. They're more engaged, even though it's not like search intent. You know, it's just like you said, if you get it right, it just converts double. And, and you can just spend so much. And yeah, you could spend a lot on Google Display and YouTube as well. But I just find... And I'm just as guilty as everybody else these days. I just find Facebook easier. Oh. I find it easier to convert Facebook um, than Google Display or YouTube. It, even the guys who ad, really advocate YouTube and Google Display, they'll tell you the same thing. And usually the pitch that they're saying is, Facebook's great, it's easy to convert, but what happens when you get your account banned and this and that? And those are all, that's a valid concern, right? But it's just easier. So if I have a startup that I'm starting in a white hat niche, why wouldn't I do that? Right. I mean, why wouldn't I go after that, that traffic source, but I'm also going to go after Google search because there's high intent there. I can test a lot of things and, and discover a lot of different pockets and traffic and angles that could carry over to Google, oh, sorry, over to Facebook and then later Google display. But Again, it's just such a powerful source. And, and, you know, a lot of people talk trash on it these days, but you can't deny the results of it, right? Oh, it's yeah. easy. Like, it's easy for us. Like, it, as long as I get the creative right, it's almost like the, even like, even though the offer is so important, like I said, it, as long as the creative is like demonstrative, if it's a product that you could demonstrate, especially, it just works, man. Like, it, it'll just work on the, you know, as long as your pricing isn't just ridiculous, you know, you're in line with the industry, you can send to e-commerce product pages. Like, I don't think I've ever had it on any other source where I could just send the traffic to an e-commerce product page. I always, I always, always have to have like a lander or a nice looking sales page mm -hmm. or be it style or something else. I don't know that I've ever had a source that consistently can convert like really high, just sending to a product page. It's kind of like semi-optimized. Right. You know, because you've got an amazing ad for it. Yeah, you got such a great ad clip. Yeah. And their ad units are unique. Like they, they're coming through a mobile stream. Like this, people are hooked on using this feed. And, you know, if you can stop that scroll and get them engaged to where they're watching something that's like demonstrative or doesn't look like a, like just a crazy pitch, you know what I mean? You just do some damage really fast. Mm, I yeah. agree. What you kind of described, that's, we talked about Kim McCarthy way before we even got on this call. He's a, he's a good friend and a frequent guest on the show. He, he did an interview way back in the day called the, I think it was the internet ad rollout formula. 
And they were talking about you get your text ad first with Google search, and then you test images with Google display, combining the text with it, with an image. And then when you've got those, then you migrate to media, like site buys. And you had, they had this whole rollout, but it was like you said, it all started with Google search, getting dialed in on the copy, the actual copy, creating sales first and foremost, and translating that to other places. And I should say something too. Yeah. So like improving concept out, right? Like, is there a demand for the product? Mm-hmm. Is there guys that are buying media profitably, right? And Google search tends to be some of the lowest hanging fruit. So if they're not able to do it there, you got to like maybe rethink what you're doing. But I should say something. The way I look at Facebook is I look at Facebook as almost like a traffic source unto itself, right? Because it's so unique in what it can do and its targeting ability and its AI and algorithms and all that, that I don't necessarily expect, and any good YouTube media buyer will tell you too, I don't necessarily expect the video creative from Facebook to work on YouTube mm. or, to, or to work on a video display unit on Google Display mm. or, to work on, or to work on one of the countless other video ad platforms out there, like Ad Supply or whatever else. There's just something like, you know, Facebook's data is, is awesome, but I think they're going to be, like I said, they're already been taking away some of the targeting ability, yep. right? I think that data is still going to be there in the background that we can debate about that all day. I don't think they're just going to eliminate that data, like of who's a buyer. Right. They're just going to build protection okay. privacy walls around it. Yeah. And that, that's my opinion. People disagree with me on that. I just don't think they're going to kill their golden goose. But that's why I still tell people stress the creative and the offer mm-hmm. because those you'll still have control over later on and let Facebook's AI do its thing. Even if they're going to start removing like targeting options and that sort of stuff, you still have control over those. But I don't necessarily look at a Facebook creative and assume it's going to work on YouTube. Maybe some of the elements might or whatever, but the length and all that sort of stuff and the mindset somebody's in is different, mm. right? Like YouTube, YouTube has search-based traffic. There's different kind of intent in there. So you can play things a little bit differently than you were on Facebook. Facebook, you got to do like a lot of curiosity and make it really engaging. And I'm not one to necessarily believe what people say is like, oh, Facebook creators should be 30 seconds or less. I think you test it. I don't want to be that guy who's like, got to test it. But one of the best creatives I've had in the past year was eight minutes long. Right. Which is well out of their 90 second kind of window. Yeah. <laughs> best one I've had is 20 minutes. It's a- Sounds like you're just putting your VSL on Facebook. <laughs> These aren't VSLs. They're demonstrations, right? It's a very demonstrative product. Okay. Something that we can do comparisons with. So that's the type of thing that like, yeah, somebody will watch the whole thing. And you'll have some comments where they're like, I can't believe I just watched this whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> you might have that, but you know, a few million views later and it's still possible. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The more you tell, the more you sell. Two things you haven't talked about much here. I want to know your opinion on them for those that are still with us. One is info products and two is webinars. These are really haven't been in your conversation with you at all. Is there a reason why you pursue, it seems like more physical products, you know, and just fewer steps to sale, I guess. Well, you know, what's funny about that is, I guess in my cash business, my email business that where people do list rentals with us, the majority of the offers promoted on our lists are info products, actually, mm. with VSLs. I would say one of our advertisers, who's pretty big in the health space, I would say 80% of their offers are supplement-based, 20% are info. 
but they're just one of our clients. Everyone else is pretty much info. So we have exceptions here and there, but it's pretty much info, but in the health space and some in, some in the financial, like Agora type of stuff, that sort of thing. We're always promoting info products, but they're typically other people's stuff that they're renting a list from. When we do affiliate stuff to our in-house list, it's actually the same type of stuff. Often. We don't do a lot of aggressive supplements and stuff in-house right. to our list. Right. It's a legal risk and all this other stuff. Right. But we'll do info products in the health space to our own list. Webinars, we don't do a lot. Like the make money niches, we like rarely ever promote that. The financial type stuff that, that we promote isn't really make money type stuff. It's more like retirement sort of thing or the health info stuff. So sure. we don't think, you know, we've had people test webinars on our own email list. They didn't do that well. So for us, there's a disconnect between when somebody registers versus somebody attends. It's just, it could be, you know, it's probably our traffic. They're not really used to that sort of thing. I've never done a lot in webinars, so that's why I don't really talk about it much. That's why it's, there's no wrong answer. I was just curious. It sounds, because I've heard a lot of people, I've just heard different conversations in the different in Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, just meetings with people that people are tending to get away from webinars and more just like, just give them a 10, 20 minute VSL, you know, just you could do, you could do the whole webinar thing or just do a VSL, collect the lead and drop them on a VSL page. I've heard a lot about that. And that's just what you even said that a lot of your guys are doing info products to VSLs, not to webinars. Because a webinar, like I guess in attention spans, I was, I was just kind of baiting to figure out if you were going to say anything about, you know, dwindling attention spans. Like people don't have attention for a 60, 90 minute webinar. Give them a 15, 25 minute VSL you know, and, and maybe give a comment section on the page if you need to or something. So that's just, that's just, I was kind of poking around for that. Just seeing where things are at. Cause you know, yeah, you know my opinion, my personal opinion on it, I don't have like data on this. So you guys can take it for what it's worth. But a lot of the webinar stuff that we see, there's guys outside of the make money online type niches, biz op niches that do webinars, like in health and that sort of thing. And there was one that She's had a crazy amount of social proof on hers. It's a webinar about like parenting okay. and that sort of stuff. I'm still seeing like really high volume ads on Facebook for that sort of stuff. But I think the jig is kind of up in the make money type markets, like especially the internet marketing space. Mm -hmm. In our thing where guys just like, okay, just give me the meat and just make the offer and just I'll tell you if I want it type of thing. And that's why I think what well, you might be hearing that that would be for me, like if I saw a video I'm not really an info product buyer, but let's say, you know, if I was, I'd want to just like, like, just tell me what this is, what yeah, it is yeah, yeah. <clears throat> talk, get to the gist of it, you know, unless it's a legit training. But again, I've been, I haven't been in that space for a long time. Well, you know, I can't give you any data. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. That's all. It's all good. I, I know we're reaching the end of the call here, but there's one thing that I do want to get and It's a topic in and of itself. And this was sure. about email list management. There's so much about it. There's so much that goes into it. But when you said that like your targeting isn't very good and you're lent rending your list out to other people, I'm just curious if you've got this massive list and you're doing all these different offers, you know, I don't even know what I don't necessarily know to ask. I know that fundamentals of email deliverability are like authentication, SPF, DKIM, DMARC, and then you have to watch your reputation and the content of the emails. That's just like a, a baseline, but I wonder at the high level scale, you know, I, I don't know, just what's in the pipeline or what principles could you share if you were just as a parting thought about this, we do all this work to build our lists and so many of us are not managing the list we've built 
any tips yeah. on that? So I will approach this in two different ways, one regarding e-commerce and one regarding just what we do in my email business. So in my email business, we send about 80 million emails a month. Okay. When you take our list size and then multiply by the number of sends per day, by the number of days in the month, it's about 80 million. We, we do about three email drops a day, sometimes four. Yes, that's a lot. That's a lot of mailing. It is. Our, our leads typically come in on like political polls, current event polls, that sort of thing. That's very important to note because that type of person that comes through on one of those things is going to be engaged in with that type of content. The DKIMs and the SPFs and all that, like we have somebody that takes care of that, but really then we don't concentrate at all on that. Sure. What we concentrate on is engagement. And to give you an idea on our list size of like 700,000, where it's about there now, maybe a little higher, our average open rate is about 22%. And our average click to open is about 60%, 50 to 60. Wow. This is because what we do out of those three to four emails a day, one might be a promotion. So one of the list rentals, or if we don't have a booking that day, which is rare these days, we'll do an affiliate drop for our own revenue. The others are current event emails. Okay. So we're getting a lot of engagement, high opens, high clicks, because people are getting trending news up to the minute news. Mm. Right now we make revenue off of those because we own a couple of the news properties or the, some of the news properties we send to pay us. Right. Mm, Just for the traffic, yeah. for AdSense or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. A rev share there. And we also get like paid on rev share with ad units inside of our emails. Right. Okay. So we are monetizing on those emails, but it's very passive monetization. Those are purely for engagement and keeping the audience engaged and, you know, not hitting spam. We have an incredibly low spam rate for the amount that we mail. Very low unsubscribe rate for the amount that we mail. So in terms of like mass bulk mailing like that, that's what we do. It's an interesting, it's a different model. We build a lot of our email lists off of other people's email traffic, like list rentals. The reason I like to do that is because anybody that ends up on our list is also basically a verified clicker, right? That's a, like such an important distinction and like such a secret sauce because when we build our list with people who are essentially clickers, it's different than a person that comes from Google Display or Facebook. Right. It's not quite as scalable. Like we get between 2,000 and four to 5,000 leads a day. Right. New leads. Whereas on Google Display or Facebook, you could do 20,000, 30,000 plus. Right. Right. So it's not as huge like that, but right. it, makes it makes it much easier on activating the list, yeah, which is what we're trying to do. And then, so what we'll do is we'll always segment out 30 day clickers, 60 day openers, you know, that sort of thing. We'll have hotter segments and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Your RFM breakdown. Yeah. Well, for so, anyone listening, I don't know. You just kind of validated it. I got to speak to Marty Edelston's daughter. I think her name's Sarah, who took over boardroom when Marty passed. And she was saying that despite their millions of subscribers, RFM is still the most effective way to break down their database. It sounds like you're saying that as well. It's all 
It's all recency yeah. frequency. Yeah, exactly. And so a lot of frequency. In my e-commerce business, we don't mail a ton. Like we do browse abandonment. And so that business, we make sure we have the SVFs and the DKIMs and all that stuff. And I really watch spam rates because we don't mail as much. But I would say 80% of that list is a buyer's list, right? Mm. So it's really responsive. So even if we mail out a tutorial, we'll pick up some sales. Anything we mail out on a product launch or a discount, we'll get a lot of sales. So now our work there is just rolling out more products, which gives us more bundles to put together, which gives us more offers to put on the site. Like for example, right now, our average sale this month really sucks because our fulfillment house miscalculated one of our products. And that basically means we stocked out of that product, which means we stocked out of every bundle that had that product. And took our product page listing from, let's say it was 15 products down to eight bundles and variations and all this sort of stuff. So, but yeah, so that list is mostly a buyer's list because we don't do like direct lead generation on that list. We're usually going for buyers. So it's a it responsive in a different way. So your, your e-commerce, you're driving with ads and then the email list is buyers. Now, when you say you mail less frequently, just to give people an idea, what do you consider is less frequently? Oh, it's, it's like, well, it depends when they come in. So that when they buy, they get an email series, a welcome series of four different emails over the first week, right? But after that, they might receive an email once a week at the most. So we don't mail a lot on that list. I'd like to increase it because the more we mail to a degree, the more we make. But we've had a lot of people complain. We've had a lot of people complain about like, oh, you guys mail too much as it is, mm. right? Mm. Well, this niche is kind of like that, but you know, we kind of have to find the balance of it. No, I love that because it's, I know some people, I just like you say, like, this is your neglected list. And you're like, we email about once per week. And that's the neglected list. And I, I love how you're talking about like the feedback you're getting from people. So you're only mailing once a list, once a week, because really you're driving sales mostly through paid ads, it sounds like, and then some email, you know, promo of your products and stuff and bundles. But it sounds like yeah. most of it's through direct paid ads to sale. Yeah. And then I just love that like your neglectful baseline is like, you know, like once a week. Cause I mean, there's people that have email lists, the email once a quarter, you know, and then they're like emails dead. But they're not. Yeah, no. I mean, our email. Well, I'll tell you, would be dead. our email list would be dead if we, like the in our in my email business, if we mailed once a week. Yeah, we would not be able to drop the promos, the list rentals that we do. It just wouldn't happen. We just wouldn't have the engagement on it. Yeah, right. And those advertisers are smart. They their creatives read almost like an informational article. Right, an advertising right? inside an email, and that's smart because everyone on our list wants to read news and information. Well, you have guys, I mean, we have one of our advertisers, they, they bought ad spots for the, for all of 2020, the entire year. They did a I insertion order of like know, 150K or whatever it was and they pre-bought. So they're happy, obviously. Yeah. Right? yeah. No, that's a good approach. What the, today, this has been such a great call. People definitely will want to listen to this more than once because the principles we talked about are timeless. The, the, the keys, like if people just listen, listen to this and take notes and then apply it to what they're doing, they're going to see better results. I mean, you've given some great focus on how to think about paid advertising. You know, I feel like we've really focused on the things that matter most. It's not what funky button and ninja thing that we're doing and, you know, 
share a video and get three second views and remarket to them. I mean, that stuff can work, but this stuff again is if you are coming to this or you're struggling, it doesn't matter what platform, if you just listen to what we talked about here and consider the improvements and all the things we've talked about, you're going to see a boost. Like that's, this is so, I mean, we're both martial arts guys. So I, I feel like this kind of speaks to it. Like this is about getting in reps and focusing on the things that are going to get results. You know, it's, it's like, yeah. You know, this isn't rubber guard, fancy stuff that will work sometimes, you know, but not necessarily everybody. This is stuff, the fundamental stuff you learn your first month of training that will still work when you're a black belt at the world championships, you know, like that stuff that just transcends all stages. So I just love it. I, I love it. I feel like from this, this has just been a really good call. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that I should ask you? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> that could be like, like, don't know what you don't know. You know, it's. All, all the stuff I do is like, like BJ Penn once said, advanced basics. You know what I mean? Even my jujitsu style is kind of like that, but in my fighting style. But yeah, everything is like kind of advanced basics. Like human psychology doesn't change near as fast as, I mean, it doesn't change really, but it doesn't change near as fast as algorithms and techniques and tactics and stuff like that. And I've always taught like that. Like my, uh, the last course I ever put out was in like at the 2013, the Traffic Blackbook 2.0. and that course, like I've had, I still have people like, like I don't even sell it anymore. I sold off that, that project, but I still have people hit me up like a guy, like two weeks ago, he's like, he's like, man, I was having so much problem with Google display, but I used your, your tips from that, from that, you know, from, he just bought it, I guess somehow. <laughs> and then he's like starting to see success, which is really cool. Like people still say that they get success out of it, even though Facebook and Google that like. The platform has changed so much from when I made that course. And then one of the traffic sources I cover doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> but the first, the first like, you know, half of that course talks about first quarter of that course, I'd say talks about like fundamentals of buying traffic and the psychology of it all and everything like that. And, and if you get good at that stuff, you can kind of like, you know, make your bet yourself later on. It just works, I think. And I just think because it's based on principles, right? Well, I've had to pivot businesses so many times that uh, I think I have because I've been able to to do that sort of stuff. Well, that's what I was just going to say. If you can make paid advertising work, you can write your own checks. And if you understand the principles behind what makes paid advertising work, you can write your own checks. You can get a partner with someone that's got a little bit of cash to buy you the time you need to run the paid ads you need. And you can follow the data to the results you want. I mean, this... This we already talked about, like, just a quick recap for people. Like, first of all, we talked about how the offer and then your ad creative are everything. The targeting, you would, you want to make sure that you're not trying to sell teenage girl clothing to geriatric men. But, you know, sure. as long as you've got that part kind of figured out, then you really don't need to worry about the targeting as much as you need to worry about your offer and your creative and scaling it up. And you also said something that I think is really genius, like targeting competitor keywords, like their actual brand name, like your first campaign should be a Google search campaign, optimizing for better or bidding on competitor keywords, you know, or and maybe other tightly relevant keywords around your topic. And that's just to get, you know, results and sales and proof of concept in. Because if you can't make that work, you know, you're not going to make anything else work. You can spend a lot of time direct messaging people on LinkedIn or other places, but you'll never get a pure test like that. Like if you want to be scientific about it, like you could with Google search and keywords of, to that respect. And then after that, you, know, you can build it out however you want. On Facebook, you give instructions for that. If you want to do display, do that. 
But then you also gave great examples about, it sounds like, you know, you're either doing an email or add to a VSL or straight to an order page that you're not really in. Do you believe you do two-step, even if it's a VSL? I mean, I guess your email, you already have their email. So the people in your opinion, are they trying to collect emails or they're just saying, send people straight to my VSL? They're sending straight to the offer. I do want to add one more thing in. Yes. And I did touch on this, but it's so important this day and age. The you know, the offer and the create are the two most important things, as I discussed, in terms of converting your traffic and making sales online with paid traffic, in my opinion. But what is supremely important, like hugely important, is the customer experience and the product. Okay. And I've been on the flip side of it as an affiliate. I've probably promoted stuff that wasn't great. I've had a trial operation where I probably promoted stuff in a far more aggressive way. And, you know, there's fallout from that. But this day and age, because of how, especially because of how social it is and everything like that. And if you want to have a long-term business, like what we're doing in our e-commerce thing, like customer experience and service and the product itself is almost like it's higher priority than almost everything else. Mm -hmm. Pretty much everything else, I would say. Yeah. Mm. Like, Like to the point where I have to watch the cash flow impact of if, let's say, a a package is damaged or a package was stolen. Like we'll send a, we'll send a replacement. No questions asked. Mm. Right. One time thing. A lot of merchants won't do that. It, and you know, it's because it's not a big impact to us financially. It means so much to customers and also the product. Like we're so picky on the products that we, that we've developed in our, in our e-commerce business that basically our customers have become influencers for us without us asking. Stuff on YouTube and Instagram all day and tag us and hashtag us without us even asking for it. Right, 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 right. Everything's so much easier if you have a great product and great customer service because otherwise, no amount of good paid marketing can outrun a bad reputation. Yeah, eventually, eventually. And trust me, I've run up numbers really high on on the other way. And it's if you're going to roll out your old thing, just be, do quality top to bottom. It is harder. It's harder than just trying to drop ship something. But in the long run, it is it is far more worth it. It gives you uh, some sort of protection around what you're doing then. Somebody can't use AdBeat or SpyFu or Follow.net or something and then just steal your ad copy and take your business away. Because you can't, yeah. you can duplicate an ad campaign very quickly, but you can't duplicate Disneyland. Like, exactly. <laughs> There's some moat around your business. And you know, even those guys who like, have aggressive offer pitches that advertise on our email list that, you know, they're not within Facebook's terms, but, you know, like you said, Facebook's like schizophrenic. So that doesn't really say much, but their funnels are very long, like long-term, like Mm. they don't break even for like maybe six to nine months, sometimes three months. You can't do that if you're churning, burning people. Yep. It just won't work. So even those guys, huge spenders, they're like, they're, very long-term on what they're doing. Their info products are solid. You know, everything's in place, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of those things where not many people talk about it. I think it's so, so important, especially in the the e-commerce product space now where anyone can roll out a product and a nice video and this and that. And um, yeah, so just just wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you did because I think I think it's easy for us. You know, you can have the the world. The business graveyard is littered with world class products and services nobody knew about. And so, you know, there is an emphasis on the marketing because what is it? You know, 
where good marketing can sell a non-existent bad product, bad marketing can't give away free gold. However, once you get people there, if you can't deliver, you know, like yeah. you said, it'll just, it'll totally backfire. So we take that as an assumption that you have to be world-class, but yeah, I get what you're, I totally get you. It's another plate you have to spin. And if, you know, somebody it once was- said that every company needs three key people and they're typically not the same person. You're in trouble oh, if it's the same person. And one of them's a product person that's a love and obsessed with making the product better and being top line. Another person's a marketing person. The third person's a finance and operations person. You typically need those three because, yeah, you need all things firing to make it work. You can have a fantastic product and no growth because there's no marketing or operations suck or the money's being mismanaged, you know, and, and so it's a combination of those things. There's no real magic bullet, but if you can sell and you can make paid advertising work, you can, you can find the business arena to be more forgiving for you to learn the other things. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so excellent. Chad. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a fantastic interview. Again, I encourage people to listen to it again. People want to reach out. They want to get in touch. They want to follow. They want to get on your list. They want to know more about you. How do they, how do they get in touch? Yeah. If you're interested in like email traffic and that sort of thing for offers and whatnot, you can contact us through e2.com. That's like David, Sam, Victor, the number two.com. It's the thinnest site you'll ever see. You know, it hasn't probably been updated in years. Email me at chad at dsv2.com. And, uh, or on Facebook, you can find me, Chad Amsey. I don't have a lot of my own personal stuff out there for like contacting me. I'm like the worst agency guy ever, I guess. <laughs> but, well, it's because you don't need it. You don't need it. <laughs> well, let's, servicing our own, you know, our existing clients and guy, people tend to get come to us through reputation and stuff. So, you know, we're working, right? We're working yeah. most of the time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Chad, honor and a pleasure. I really hope to have you back someday. Great call. Thank you again so much. And it's just been an honor and yeah. pleasure. And I wish you guys all the best. Appreciate that. Thank you.